Hello and welcome to the Crochet Circle podcast. I'm Faye and this is my monthly crochet podcast with a little bit of knitting on the side. You can catch the audio version of the podcast on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify and lots of other podcast platforms. The video version is available on YouTube. Each podcast has full linked show notes which can be found at www.thecrochetcircle.podbean.com and you can also follow me on Instagram crochet underscore circle underscore podcast. Welcome to the Crochet Clan and our amazing community. Hello, this is episode 50 and it's called Woohoo! Um, Happy Hogmanay! I'm actually recording on the 1st of January 2020 and I love it. I love New Year. Couldn't give a fig about Christmas, that is not my bag at all, but bring me New Year and the idea of kind of taking out the old and bringing in the new and thinking about the things that you want to refresh and do differently. I I just love that. I'm not big on New Year's resolutions, but I just like this kind of... refresh that you can get at New Year. I know lots of people don't love it, but I'm Scottish. We flaming love New Year. So today is like a, a day that I'm buzzing because I think about all the opportunities that are ahead of me in the next 12 months and that, that just makes me really happy and how I can change things up and make things good. So so happy New Year to you all. Um, I've got lots to take you through. This is episode 50, which also feels really special. I know, arbitrary date, but if, you know, that's quite an achievement to have done 50 podcasts, month in, month out, always delivered, 10 o'clock on a Friday morning, first Friday of every month, you've had a podcast. And um, it's like that deadline thing that really pushes me on. If I didn't tell you I was going to do it on the first Friday of every month, there's no way I would have delivered 50 podcasts by now. So um, that's one of the reasons that I always talk about that because then I'm signing myself up to do it for the next month. Very task focused. In case anybody's new to the podcast, that is me. I'm very deadline driven. I'm very task focused. That's how I kind of push on with all the aspects of my life. And I love it. I really love it. So what have I got for you this month? Um, there is Old Dog New Tricks including um, the first load of um, top tips from Crochet Clan, from our lovely community here at the podcast. So um, I said last time that I would start introducing your top tips as well, and that's coming in under that section. There's also um, Whip Rip 2019, quick update on that, because it finished last night at midnight. Um, Final Destination, En Route, some Feeding the Habit, because... <laughs> presents have arrived and um, also some quick news beats and I said last time if you had any questions for me then ask away and I would answer them in this podcast so I've got a few questions and answers for you as well. Right let's get on with it. Um, the first one I'll do for old dog new tricks is the crochet clown ones. You can always come first so you can come first now. So <clears throat> The um the tip that I'm going to share with you today actually kind of came in from two people. It came in from Trina, who is a brown-eyed girl MGB um, on Ravelry. Hi, Trina. And also from Andrea, who is Wool Woman 2K8 on Ravelry. Hello. And um, she also has a blog. So if you wanted to go and check that out, Andrea's blog is linked within the show notes and it's called Woolen Yarns Blog. 
she's just started doing crocheted garments so she's on a really nice journey with that and um, w- worth having a look at so both of their tips were around the use of stitch markers and um trina's tips were to put one at the beginning of a row and one at the end of the row and it saves you so much time it really does it might feel like a bit of a faff even if your row count is really small but actually it just keeps you right because if you're using something like a, a starting half treble half double and um, crochet in us terminology or um you've got quite a complicated stitch you know you're not used to it then just marking where the beginning and the end of a row is makes such a difference to you when you're approaching it on the next one so if you've got a pattern repeat that you're doing across that row or across that round then you'll know whether your stitch count is off or not and if it's a good pattern that has got your stitch count um for every single row or round then you can always check it really really easily and andrea's tip on the stitch markers is to put one on the front of your works, on the right side of your work. And what that means is, again, in a good pattern, it should tell you what is the right side and what is the wrong side. So you can very quickly navigate your piece of fabric that you're working on and go, okay, I've got a right side facing me and I'm about to start working on that side, so I should be on a right side row. So let's say you've... I mean, nobody does this. You don't put projects down for months on end. But let's say you did, how much easier would it be if you had a little marker that said this is your right side and you'd marked one end to the other so you could quickly go and check your number of stitches, know that you are right and you'd be able to very easily pick up where you are in that pattern. Really good tips because they're probably one of the most cost effective notions that you can get. Um, I really like the little bulb pins you get so the ones that are quite rounded um i sell them but also sometimes you get them on clothing tags so if you get that just um keep them aside use them as stitch markers and i also like the d lever arch ones because they've got um, more space in them so if you're working with a chunkier yarn then you can fit an entire stitch through to mark it up so they're my favorite types of um, stitch markers that i use for crochet they're not particularly expensive and you can make your own so if you want to try a different type of crafting then that's quite an easy way of doing it of um, creating something that is bespoke for your craft so, so thank you for those tips uh, Trina and Andrea that's really helpful and I've got loads of them in there in Ravelry but if you've got your own top tip and you want to have it shared on the podcast then add it there is a thread in Ravelry and I will pick it up from there um, and what I might try and do is every now and then, depending on what I'm doing in Old Dog New Tricks, try and pull out something that is completely different or something that's complementary to what it is that I'm talking about. So there will be no kind of chronological order of, okay, this person was the next one in with the top tip. It's whatever I think is working with the general feel of the podcast that month. So do add your stuff in. And if we've got more, then I might create a blog post or something just so I can get them out there and get them shared more quickly. So, that was tip number one. Tip number two is all around blocking. I put a thing out on Instagram, across all of my Instagram accounts. I have three. 
Um, and I asked you whether you had any questions on blocking for me because I love blocking. It makes such a massive difference to the end product. It makes um, your yarn bloom, it cleans it, it can soften it up, it can allow you to get something to the shape and size that you actually wanted it to be in the first place. Um, and one of the questions I was asked was about how you can block a hat. So I've kept a record of all of your questions and I'm busy in the background pulling together a full blog post on that. It might take me a little while because as I block things that might work with your questions, I'm taking photos and recording it. Like I say, if you're new to the podcast, um, I'm quite thorough. I'm quite a thorough person. If I'm going to tell you something, it's because I've done all the background work into it and I want to pass you good and decent information. Um, so that's that's what I do. So... Um, that blog post is coming, but in the meantime, I kicked it off by making a hat blocker because I know lots of people make hats. They're lovely, quick and easy projects to do. But then lots of questions were asked about how you block them because if you block them flat, you inevitably end up with um, two creases on either side of the hat, which can be quite difficult to get out. And if you need to stretch it out a little bit, then how do you do that? And you can actually put them on a bowl. The problem with that is if your bowl is really quite deep, then you can block the brim too far. So you ideally you want the brim of your hat to be slightly um, less circumference than the main body of your hat. If your brim just gets too um, loose, then it's not going to fit in your head properly and you're not going to get the warmth properties that you actually want from a hat. So it's less likely to snuggle around your ears to keep the cold out at the nape of your neck so it's not really functioning properly as a hat. So I thought, I wonder how you make bespoke hat blockers and then um, it was just before Christmas when my niece came over so we had a little go at making them and went back to kind of craft classes and went to make a papier-mâché hat blocker out of a balloon, a blown-up balloon, papier-mâché and then um, creating a form that when the balloon eventually just um, deflates I'm left with quite a it's quite a solid structure that I've got and the real beauty of it is that when I blocked my first hat on this the circumference that is down where the brim is is definitely less than the circumference at the main body of the hat so I'm not negatively stretching my um, my hat out too much at the brim and I get a really good fitting hat. Now the other thing about this is that <clears throat> Matthew and I have got the same head circumferences. So my starting point was to actually make a bespoke hat blocker that fits my head. Because it's usually me that I make hats for. So I measured from the middle of the forehead um, from where I, my hat would sit. And I measured across my ear down to the nape of my neck over to my other ear and back up to the middle of my forehead and that was 58 centimetres so and you might find it easier to work with somebody else with this so blow a balloon up bigger than you think you need it but don't tie it off get somebody else to pop a tape measure around it and what I did was although my head is 58 centimetres I took the measurement down to 56 centimetres of the balloon so I just like let air out until it went down to 56 centimetres 
And the reason for doing it at a lesser circumference is because I want the hat to be slightly tighter on my head. But also you're adding layers to the balloon when you put the papier-mâché on. So I wanted to um, like be prepared for that and so took it two centimetres off the circumference. Once I got it down to 56 centimetres, I tied the balloon off and I made a paste. So when I was a kid, I always made papier-mâché out of... Um, like a PVA glue, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to know if there was something a little more eco-friendly that I could use. And I found a really good blog that showed you how to make papier-mâché from flour and water, papier-mâché glue. And so what I did was um, tore off lots of strips, as you do when you're making papier-mâché, of newspaper. And I also used some of my unbleached tissue paper that I use in the shop. So I did newspaper as the base, so it was thicker, finished off with tissue paper. And the glue was half a cup of flour and two and a half cups of water, so a five to one ratio. And that was enough to actually do two hat blockers, so that was enough to do five layers of paper over two hats, so ten layers of, um, ten layers of paper in total. And it worked really, really well. I was using um, like a pastry brush to put it on. Um, like we've got one of the silicone ones out of the kitchen and because it was only flour and water there's no issue, it's essentially what pastry is anyway so um, that's how I did it and I let it dry a little bit in between each layer and then I let the entire thing dry overnight and then I finished off because I felt like it was still a little um, it was a little bit too soft there wasn't enough structure to it so then the next day I added three coats of a clear varnish, like an indoor wood varnish to it. So it's got quite a nice shine on it. And this is how um, how solid the hat blocker is. You know, that's, that's not going anywhere. It's got really decent structure. I could crush it if I wanted to, but it's perfectly great for popping onto a mug and then keeping your hat blocker on that and popping your wet hat onto it for blocking. I'll add photos into the show notes so you can see exactly what it is that I've created. And what I particularly love is if you have a hat blocker, I mean, obviously you have to add a face to it. <laughs> so I brought out my toddler drawing skills and gave my hat blocker a face. And this one's called Rocky. And my other hat blocker is um, female. And she's called Belinda. So I have two hat forms. One that fits me, one that fits my niece. And uh, Rocky is mine and Belinda is my niece's. So that is how you do a hat form. You don't have to draw a stupid, like, slightly disturbing face on them. But why not? So that is it for old dog new tricks. Hopefully that's helpful. This is really cost effective to do. It's bespoke. Um, and... It means that you've got a really easy way of blocking hats. The downside is that you have to have somewhere to store it. Um, this will just sit... <laughs> Rocky and Belinda will sit in my craft room. Um, but it's now really simple for me to block hats. It's quite good fun to make as well. Especially my toddler drawing. So a quick update on Whip Rip 2019. So many of you got through loads and loads of whips. Some of you finished all of yours off and then were able to start new things um, to take you into 2020 with as few projects as possible. 
I was working right up to the wire. I had a pair of knitted socks that I really wanted to finish. Um, we've had our um, friends over for Hogmanay. He came up from the South Coast. And I really wanted to finish my sock, but I was just like, it's a, it's quite an involved sock, it's patterned. And why am I sitting doing this for like a deadline that is self-imposed when actually I just want to be like singing, dancing, drinking, eating mince pies and having fun with all my friends. So I sacked off the sock. So I've come into 2020 with one design um, project that I've got on the go, which I've nearly finished with. And one design which I've only just started, that's maybe about 10% of the way through, that's a brand new design. So that's it for crochet, they're the only things that I've got on the go. And for knitting I've got the sock that I still need to finish, and I'm not joking, I've even written in the show notes because I wrote them a couple of days ago. I have finished my sock, I've gone through with no personal projects whatsoever. Nah, that's just blatantly not true. So... On a personal note, I have got um, my sock to finish off, which I'll try and work on tonight, and the knitted jumper for my dad, and that is it. And because I've been trying to be more monogamous, I've actually been able to fly through loads and loads of projects. Like, I've knitted jumpers for my little um, kind of godsons, not godsons, <laughs> and socks and all sorts of presents uh, in the last month or so. But uh, I've managed to do pretty much everything for Whip Rip. And I'm so proud of all of you that have just been really focused and just smashed through them. It's been fab to see. So thank you for adding them to um, Sophie, a Spring Snowflake podcast's Ravelry group. Amazing chatter thread in there. Thank you so much. And if you want to see all of the finished objects that have happened, then come along to the Crochet Circle group on Ravelry. There's a finished objects thread in there. And um, also, if you go to Whip Rip 2019 and Whip Rip 2019 FO, you can see all of the stuff there on Instagram too. But so many finished objects. I feel so good. I feel so happy that, you know, 1st of January, and I've got so few projects on the go. And I'm now, I just want to start all the things. I literally have got patterns printed out all over the place for things that I am desperate to start, in part because I got new yarn, new personal yarn as well, um, as my Christmas present from Matthew. So I'm desperate to crack on with that, but I'm not allowing myself until I've done Dad's jumper. So thanks again for taking part of the call. It was a lot of fun. And... Um, it might have to occur next year as well. <laughs> Apologies, I'm, I'm coughing and sound a bit raspy. I've been ill now for about 10 days and I'm coming to the end of it. But the more I talk, the worse my throat gets. So I have hot juice. I'm uh, trying to look after myself, but I took a couple of days off 10 days ago and I just got whammed with a cold. So, um, yeah, hot juice will keep on flowing. Or maybe a strepsil or two. Right. Final destination. I've got quite a lot to show you. Uh, some of it is just because I had little bits to do and finish on it. So, 
one of the things I put on my list of things to finish for part of my whip rip was to make the changes to my bark jumper. If you remember from the last podcast, it was curling up a little bit at the bottom and I didn't like the suggestion that was made in the pattern. I tried it and it just made the bottom of my jumper totally inflexible. There was no give in it whatsoever, which meant that I couldn't get it over my quite broad shoulders. So all I've done is added to the bottom, I think it was just two rounds of a double crochet, single crochet US terminology. And whilst it's um, it's still curling up, that's in part because I haven't blocked it. So I know from other jumpers that I've done that double crochet, um, because it's a lot denser, doesn't have the same um, ability to curl. So I'm fairly sure that once I have washed this, it's just going to be absolutely fine. Um, I am hoping, Matthew and I go off every year to a place called the Yorkshire Sculpture Park, which is beautiful. It's full of sculptures. It's an old country estate. It's about an hour and a half from our house. Normally we'd go on this day. We would go on um, the 1st of January because <laughs> we're such massive, like, quarterly reports, 12 monthly plan geek type people. <clears throat> we go on the 1st of January and we work out what we want from the next 12 months. I know. Some of you are sat there like, oh my word, like get a grip of yourselves, go and do something more fun. But we love it. We've done it for the last few years. Normally we'd go on New Year's Day, but because our friends left today, um, we're going tomorrow instead. To cut a long story short, I'm hoping that if the weather is good, we can get photos of me in my bark jumper and also in my strandier jumper, which I am currently wearing, um, which is a knitted jumper. Um, I think I showed it to you last time round because, again, I had to do some work on it. Um, but uh, I'm hoping to be able to show these off and model them properly. I talked about, in the last podcast, actually putting all of my body measurements into my Ravelry project pages for garments I've now done all of that but what I also need to do is take photos because body measurements might not compute to some people whereas actually seeing a photo then being able to see the measurements and comparing them to their own body will probably mean more so you might get some very like wooden photos of me like front on (laughs) side on on my back because sometimes with the photography on Ravelry and in magazines yes it can look absolutely beautiful but it does nothing to show you how the garment actually wears. So you might get some very like basic robotic poses from me, but hopefully they'll be useful in my garments pages in Ravelry. It's quite a big step. I really hate having my photo taken. Um, so, I mean, this is love. This is crochet clan love that I am doing this because... I just hate it. It's not my thing. This is why I have Claude. Most things get photographed on my lovely mannequin, Claude. Right. So my jumper that I am wearing, my Strandier jumper, is by Hulda Hakonardottir. She is an Icelandic designer. She is also the designer of my dad's jumper that I'm working on. And... um, it's a really beautiful lightweight jumper it's 
I've managed to block out so the arms became a little bit longer. It's the first time I've worked with this wool. It's 100% Icelandic wool and it's um, it's not plied at all. It's almost like a roving. And when, I f when you bind it off, it kind of goes <laughs> and sucks up and you lose quite a bit of the length. And that's what happened to the arms and that's what happened to the body length. And I wasn't happy with the... Um, the rib that was on it because it was something like a seven by three rib something like that and it just was a bit frilly and it didn't look particularly nice so during December I finally got round to picking up all of the stitches around the bottom because it was knitted um, top up bottom up even top up that would be an interesting construction if you can knit top up. It was knitted bottom up, um, which meant that I, there was very little I could do about the length of the actual garment other than picking up stitches and cutting off the ribbing that I didn't want anymore. And so that's exactly what I did. Picked up the stitches and I have replaced it with a 2 by 2 rib instead which I am much much happier with and I added quite a lot of length um, in terms of the ribbing and this entire garment weighs about 210 grams it's extremely lightweight and it is extremely warm I just have a thermal vest on underneath I've got nothing on my arms and I'm out of my studio and I haven't been out here for almost two weeks so it's pretty flaming cold but I've got this jumper on so if you're like me you've got like my body frame is quite large and I don't want to add loads of extra bulk to it so this is a really great option if you want not a lot of wool but you want to be warm but you don't want big chunky thick wool on you then this is a really good option to work with I'm going to start crocheting with it shortly so I'll be able to let you know how it works as a crocheted garment as well but lovely and toasty so I was pleased to get that done and to be honest I have worn this rather a lot and I wore it on Christmas Eve while I was going around the supermarket and I had loads of people that like, looking at me and smiling now I might have just had lettuce in my teeth or something but I thought they were smiling at my jumper in total approval at how beautiful it was probably lettuce I'll take it as they really liked my jumper because it's very obviously handmade but in a nice way it feels stylish and it feels like nicely made I've, I feel like I've done a good job on it um, but it's very recognisable as handmade so that was jumper number two that I finished what else did I do? I also finished off a lace weight version of my latest design that I've been working on I mentioned last time round that I might be able to show it to you. However, Unravel Yarn Festival, which happens in February, um, they are hosting a competition for designers to put designs in in the next few days. Actually, it's quite a tight deadline for the festival. And they want knitting or crochet designs. And you know me, any opportunity to push the prominence of crochet, of beautiful crochet that is, you know, contemporary, then I am there with bells on. So I'm not going to release that pattern yet. I'm actually going to um, apply to the competition with it. So I've now done it in all sorts of yarns, all sorts of yarn weights, and I've finished off the lace weight finally the other night. 
kick me if I tell you I want to do more stuff in Lee Suite, apart from my next design, which is also in Lee Suite. And after that, if you hear me say, oh, I think that would look beautiful in Lee Suite, just know, just tell me no, just remind me that I am not in a happy place when I do Lee Suite. It does not make me happy in particular. I love the end effect, but the actual working on it, it just takes a long, long time. So tell me no. Be very firm with me. Just tell me no. So that is done, and I will be able to show you at some point soon, because, you know, it might not do anything in the competition, in which case I'll be able to show it to you next month. Um, and I also finished my Verity vest, which is on my beautiful assistant Claude. And this is a pattern by Dawn at the Almond Snug. Some of you will remember this pattern because I think I started this uh, 18 months ago, maybe longer, when we did the summer top cowl thing. That's when I started this uh, and I finally finished it. I haven't blocked it because actually it's going to my friend Annabelle. She made one and hers is slightly too big. And this one fits me, but I think this is more Annabelle's colours, so we're going to do a swap out. Um, so I haven't blocked it because she Annabelle's a bit taller than me, um, which is going some because I'm five foot seven. I think Annabelle's maybe five nine, five ten. Um, but she might want to add more length to it, so I'm sending it down to her with what's left of the yarn and then if she wants more length she can add it in and she can block it to her size requirements. It's such an easy top to make. It's got lovely patterning to it and it works in all sorts of yarn um, blends and it, I think it would be quite easy to adapt to different um, sizes of yarn as well. Sorry, not sizes, different weights of yarn as well. Um, so yeah, really beautiful pattern. Um, by Dawn. She does a lot of crochet patterns. You probably already have found her on Instagram um, at the Almond Snug and I would say go and check her out. I really enjoyed the pattern even though it took me forever. That wasn't um, a slight on the pattern whatsoever. It just for some reason got put in a bag, left in the living room and then when I was doing whip prep I remembered it and thought no I have to I have to get that finished and get it sent to Annabelle. So it's done. And the yarn that I was using for that is one that I don't think is available anytime, uh, is available anymore. It's from a company called Aroncania. I think that's how you pronounce it. And it's uh, um, in their range and it's called Ranko. And it is um, 80% wool, 20% nylon. And it's in all sorts of turquoise colours. So going from a kind of mid-turquoise into quite a dark turquoise, which you can see in the way that it has been dyed up. Um, it's like a hand-dyed skein of yarn, so you've got blotches coming through the, the crochet. It's got quite a mottled effect to it. This um, is really nice to work with. So if you find some, it's got quite a high twist, so it crochets rather nicely. And it's warm, it's really nice and warm. Um, and it's actually suitable for socks as well. So if you happen across some, then I would say pick it up. I think I maybe got this at um, Black Sheep Wools for like £5 for 100 grams in their sale room. Now I got a couple of them. It was perfect for doing the Verity Vest. So if you're looking for a summer top that's going to be a couple of hundred grams of something that's already in your stash or you've got your eye on, 
really good option and quite quick quick to crochet up i've also been doing some sewing i signed up to the craft bank gift along and the um the gifts had to be sent out and arrive with people on the 31st of december and my recipient uh, lisa one I signed up to do sewing rather than crochet or knitting because I really want to develop my sewing skills. I love the idea of sewing my own wardrobe. I've got a very specific sense of style and identity and I would love to be making my own clothes for that. So I find project bags to be a really good way of creating something little and um, not necessarily a fast project because it can take me all day to do a couple of bags because I'm quite precise. Um, but it's a great way of developing some of my skills on the sewing machine and getting to know my sewing machine better. And so I made Lisa a couple of um, bags, of project bags. She knits and she's been teaching her granddaughter to knit. And when I asked her what kind of colour she likes, she said pink, purple and um, her granddaughter loves unicorns. Like... So I had to go out and buy fabric because that's just not the type of stuff that's in my stash. So I went when I was down in Bath and I got some really lovely, actually, um, unicorn fabric. And I made her up a large um, project bag and a small one, thinking that maybe she would give that to her granddaughter and they would have matching project bags. So I sent that off, forgot to photograph it, so I can't show you all of that uh, hard work that I put in. But when I was in the fabric shop in Bath, I also picked up some fat quarters. Um, one of which is a cream background with a muted teal colour. And it either looks like knitted stitches or cat's heads. It's quite... um. It could go one way or the other. And I really liked it. And um, found in my stash at home... A nice sagey teal green colour fabric that I had, which I think I got from a a craft sh uh, swap from with my local craft group. So I made that up, popped a little handle on it, and I like to add poppers onto my bags because um, I find zips a little bit worrisome in that it's quite easy to zip your goods. So to... Um, get your project jammed in a zip or your yarn so i quite like poppers and it also means that you can have your yarn in there and pull it out and use it as a um like a yarn ball at the same time so that's what i tend to do so i made myself one of those and i also made one i found some fabric and i've used the same um greeny teal color on the inside and it had the outer fabric I found had um, clouds and snowflakes coming out of them. And again, in quite a nice kind of, almost like a French blue is how I would describe it. So a muted grey blue. And again, put a little handle on the side and added poppers. And, um, and I had some dark grey poppers for that one. So I really enjoyed doing that. I, f I think sometimes it can be really healthy to do different crafts to step away from the ones that you do all the time get a little bit of a breather and make your hands do something else um i like i am a multi-crafter i love doing a little bit of everything i would love to do like leather work and i would love how to weave properly and i want to be a better spinner i just i want to learn all of the things and whilst crochet is 
always going to be my dominant sport. That's the one I would take to the Olympics. Um, knitting is my next. And then I just, under that lies all the things. So it's crochet, knitting, everything else. And I just, I have a thirst for knowledge and a thirst for learning. And I just love trying new things. So that's where the sewing bit falls in. And as I was making up those bags, I also have some scraps of linen in my um, stash from bits and pieces from the shop. And so I thought, well, let's do some more with embroidery because I sell um, embroidery books in the shop. And I thought, well, it would be really lovely to have some more samples. I only started selling books about six months ago, so it'd be lovely to have more samples that show off some of the books that we have. And I thought, well, I've got lovely kind of bleached linen. What would look great on that? And the answer is bees. I embroidered three bees on the front of the bag. And I, oh, I've, I've been stitching since I was about seven, eight years old, maybe. And so I'm, I'm competent, but... It was always quite rough and ready. And then when I've started to do proper embroidery, I've really loved it. And these bees were just beautiful. They're very, um, they're very, they're very lifelike looking. And the contrast of the stitches, the black and the yellow on the white linen is just really stunning. I'm so pleased with this project. And again, I found some really proper, lovely mustard um, spare fabric in my stash which just complements it beautifully but what I've attached that to is a boxed bag and when you box a bag you actually cut a little square out of the bottom and I don't like to waste anything so I thought well what can I do with the squares from that and from um, the other bags that I had because all of the bags were boxed so I had a load and some of them go to my friend Joe, who does English, is it English paper piecing, where you get the hexagonals and she um, sews them together to make blankets and runners and things. So she got a load, but I still had some left. And one of the other books that I sell is um, a Embroidery with Applique. So what I did was um, used all the little squares, cut out leaf shapes and attached them onto the bag with embroidery. I'll add photos into the show notes because I'm really, really proud of this bag. I just, I'm so chuffed. I know that when I get to a show, somebody's going to ask to buy it, which is what happens quite frequently with um, samples. And the answer is always going to be no. Um, but I'm just so chuffed. So I've done it almost like um, an oval because the bag isn't quite square. It's it's um, wider than it is tall. So I've done quite a wide um, ovalish garland with the mustard coloured leaves and the sage green coloured leaves and I've used my 100% wool moira threads on that and I'm yeah I'm really I'm really proud of this little bag and what it's going to do is house all of the other samples from all of the other books that I've got so if I test out another book and I like it and I want to sell it then it might be that I've done a little bit of feral or something I will pop in here and people can have a rummage and have a reference point for the books that I'm selling. So that's where the idea came from. And I had such a nice time adding the stitches to this and using the sewing machine. And I really thoroughly enjoyed it. It was good. Uh, yeah. That is it for finished objects. 
was rather a lot. It was a lot of fixing and mending and finishing off, and then a lot that wasn't really so much crochet, but it was all about whip rip, let's be honest. It was about getting to a point where I was coming into the new year with less clutter, which is very healthy for me. So moving on to en route. Uh, what do I have? I want to show you the beginnings of my dad's jumper. Um, that he's asked me to make him. So we chose the wool when we were out in Iceland. He definitely wanted it to be made from Icelandic yarn. And he definitely wanted it to be made in colours that were not bright. <laughs> so he chose a very dark chokil, ch charcoal, charcoal grey. Um, um, a dark steely grey. A mid grey, which is um, almost like a silver colour. And then a whitish grey, uh, almost like a dirty snow kind of a colour. And those four colours will make up his jumper. The main body is in the charcoal grey. And then there's a colour work yoke, which is made up of the other three greys. And a little bit of patterning on the sleeve. And so far, I have nearly finished one sleeve. And that's it. But because of whip rip, I've told him um, it's what he wanted for Christmas. I sent him a little mini jumper and said... This is a placeholder until I finish your actual jumper. Um, what it meant that was when I saw him last time round, I was able to try the um, sleeve on him, make sure that it was fitting on his arm, that the measurements were right, that he liked the density of the fabric and that it was warm enough for him. So it ticked all of those boxes and that meant that I could proceed knowing that I was ultimately creating something that matches what my dad had in his mind. Because I picked the pattern for him. He said he just didn't want anything garish. My dad is quite... Uh, beige is not fair. That's not what I mean. You know, my dad is... Um, he just doesn't He just doesn't do bright colours. He, like me, does quite muted colours. So um, I chose the jumper for him. Got his say-so on it. And it is called... John, as in G-O-N. And this is one that I was saying was also by Hulda Hakonadottir. My Icelandic pronunciation is shocking. Um, Hakonadottir. Um, so it's Let Lopi that I'm using. And this is what it looks like so far. So as I said, the dark charcoal is in the main body of the sleeve as it's showing. And then these, um, what's the word for them? Like rhomboid shapes going around the sleeve, um, starting at the top with the lightest snowy grey, this the um, silvery grey and then the steel and then back down into the dark charcoal. And I have coveted this jumper for a long, long time and I rather suspect that as soon as I've made it for my dad, I'm going to cast it on for myself because I would love this in shades of teal I think it would just look incredible so I'm going to be cracking on with this this is my main knitting whip I'm going to deal with my second sock first get that out of the way I haven't brought that to show you because I'll have it finished next time round and I'll show you as an FO instead whereas this is going to be a much bigger project I'd rather show you my uh, progress on this jumper and then hopefully eventually 
I will be allowed to show you a photo of my dad wearing it with pride. When I was in Iceland, I even managed to find in the yarn shop a tiny little sewn label, which has the Icelandic flag on it. So when I finish this, I will be sewing on a little Icelandic flag to it, which I know my dad, he doesn't know I found it. But I know he'll just love that little extra detail. So this is my main whip at the moment. In my head, because deadlines... I would like to think that I will have this finished by the end of January. It's Wednesday the 1st now. And actually, I'm planning on having Saturday and Sunday off and just chilling and actually having days off, which doesn't happen very often. I'm going to sit on my backside on the sofa in our kitchen and I'm going to crochet and knit all day long for two days and then come back into the office on Monday morning and get back into work. But this weekend, I will be making some serious progress on this. So that is my main knitting whip. And then my main crochet whip, which is other thing I'll be working on this weekend, I can't yet show you. <coughs> because I've been um, working on getting all of my whips finished, ready for last night. I haven't yet started on the marsupial pouches that I talked about last time round. But again, I'm giving myself the deadline of the 31st of January and I'm trying to make at least three pouches and sew three cotton liners for each of those pouches. So that will be nine liners and three crocheted pouches altogether and hopefully some bird's nests as well. So they're going to be one of my main um, kind of finished objects going into next month. So that's what you'll see from me. So it's... It's kind of a future whip, but literally I'm going to be starting them uh, tonight or maybe tomorrow in the car on the way over to the um, to the Yorkshire Sculpture Park. So it's it's now imminent, whereas before it was just a, a nice to have if I got everything else done for the whip rip. But yeah, that's it for en route. There will be more next month. This is the kind of downside of being a bit more monogamous. But I guess what you're not seeing as lots of en routes, you're seeing more finished objects of. And I'm working on like more garments, which take longer. So when I get them as a finished object, it feels like a really big deal compared to like a pair of socks or something small. So I guess the nature of my crocheting and knitting has just changed a little. And there are longer term projects that I'm working on now. And we're going to move on to Feeding the Habit. I'm so excited. So, many of you know, I have been on a yarn ban for six months. Started on the 21st of June, finished on the 21st of December. I've been doing it with my friend and we've been keeping each other straight and every now and then sending a message saying, oh my word, I've just found this yarn and I want it. And the other person has come back and said, no, you're not allowed it, you're on a yarn uh, ban that's it and I've done the same to her when she said oh but I think I really want that and I've sent back like no faces like you are not allowed we're either in this ban or we're not and that's it so for me I was allowed to buy in yarn for designs because I have to I get some yarn support but um, quite a lot of the time I buy my own yarns in for stuff because I'm very specific about the sort of stuff that I want to work with Um. And so whilst I have had some yarn coming in, um, it's nothing like my 
my yarn habit used to be. And I have a massive curated stash and I wanted to just start doing more from my stash. However, I was still allowed presents as yarn, as in Christmas presents or birthday presents. And so when Matthew asked me what I wanted for my Christmas, I 100% wanted yarn. Let's show you what I had. Did you see me rubbing my little fingers there? <laughs> I got yarn. And there is a very common theme. My yarn is pretty much all mustard or greeny mustard or mustardy green. There is a very definite kind of thing happening here. I am all about the mustards and the greens. And I always have been, but... This is the first time that I've had a load of yarn come in and it's it's in such a very defined area of the colour spectrum. So, what came first? Um, I got three skeins of Autumn by the Freehold Yarn Company. The colourway is called Narcissus and it is 25% Gotland and 75% Blueface Leicester. It's all British wool and it was spun and dyed in... Yorkshire, it's actually spun at Laxton's and they do some of my favourite um, spinning. It's very defined, the way that they twist the yarn and the ply that's on it. And I think you can always tell when something's come out of Laxton's. Um, and I, I really enjoy working with it and I enjoy crocheting with it in particular. It doesn't smell sheepy, which is a shame because Scotland's got such a lovely smell to it. And how would I describe the colour? It's kind of mustard, but quite a brightish mustard. And that's only changed by the fact that you can see the Gotland in there. So you've got streaks of a kind of dark brownish grey in against the mustard because the Gotland just doesn't take um, the dye in the same way. So it's actually quite heathered and it looks quite textured because of that. And you can see some really nice fibres flying off of the ply, which is beautiful. That's the kind of yarn that I really like working with. So the reason I got three, because normally you would think, well, that's maybe not enough to do a garment with. I got three because I already had a skein of this colour in the Narcissus and a skein of the... Um, it's a very light silvery grey and I bought them a couple of years back when I was up at Lancaster when Amy had the bricks and mortar shop. And um, and then like, what, what do I do with the skein of each? And because I'm doing a lot of garments at the moment, when Matthew said, what do you want? At the same time, Amy had announced that she was doing 40% off because she was closing down the online shop. So um the three skeins were 40% off, which was a bit of a bargain for something that is British um, grown, spun, dyed. But now that I've got four skeins of this and the silver colour, I can do a colour work jumper. And it's lovely and soft and not dissimilar to the Strandier jumper that I'm using in that I suspect it's going to be very lightweight, um, but really lovely and warm. So perfect for... For me in the way that I like to dress. So happy about that. But of course I didn't just stop there on Amy's website. I also um, saw that she had some tuku wool. Which you may have heard lots of podcasters talk about. It's a Finnish wool. And again it's a kind of four ply light fingering weight. It's 195 metres per 100 grams. 
and it's 100% wool. And the colour of this is, I would say it's more on the green side of mustard, um, like quite a, it's more of a springy green than a kind of autumn green, but it's definitely got um, like a mustard running through it as well. So again, it's quite heathered, it's quite textured. It has fewer flyaway fibres, but I still think it would be really good for colour work or just as a jumper in its own right. And again, this was 40% off, so I think those were £8 for 100 grams, and it was 40% off of that. So, dear lovely husband bought me eight skeins of this, because then that's a jumper's worth as well. Um, and I've been eyeing up all the jumpers that I can make with my my latest things of coming as presents. Um, so that was meant to be it from Matthew and then my friend Beck went to our local garden centre and discovered that all of the Erica Knight wool and yarn was 50% off. So she came round for coffee, she left, Matthew came back and like 10 minutes later I was at the garden centre because um, I have worked with this yarn before. It's the British Blue 100 Again, it's 100% British, it's Blueface Leicester, it's spun at Laxton's, it's all the things that I love. The colourway is Mrs Dalloway and it's quite a muted mustard colour, so very mustardy but on the kind of softer tones. Um, not the bright, bright kind of egg yolky mustard that you can get. And this was down to £6.50 a skein, which is a ridiculous price for 100 grams of wool that is 100% grown, dyed, spun. So Matthew bought me six skeins of that as well as a Christmas present because 50% off. So all of the wool that I've got for Christmas was like on a really, really good deal, which is why I've got so much of it. But I've got three jumper quantities there. And at the same time, Matthew got four... Um, skeins of another colour called Cymbeline which is a bluish grey colour and I'm allowed to knit him a jumper I think what's happened is he now likes wool he now likes a wool jumper I'm allowed to do him socks my dad's getting a knitted jumper so that's also made knitted jumpers more in the allowed camp than the not allowed camp so I'm allowed to knit him a jumper in the Eric Knight British Blue 100 so that's happening too. So that was, they were my little, little, not so little, that it's a lot of wool, I totally understand that. But that was my set of Christmas presents from Matthew. And they were very considered um, purchases. They were all yarn brands that I knew, um, yarn brands I'd looked at previously and said when I'm allowed, I will get them. And so they came through as a Christmas present. And then I also got a present from Charlie from the Love Charlie podcast who gave me a skein of um, Gilly's yarn. Gilly is Fjord Fibres. I've used her yarn quite a lot in the past. Knitted socks with it. I knitted a calm cowl with it. It's really beautiful yarn. Um, and it is 80% wool and it's Norwegian wool and 20% polyester. And it's proper woolly yarn. So it's got a lovely um, ply on it, 
you can see that it's fibrous. It's got a certain amount of not crunch. It's unfair, but it's plump. And you know when something feels woolly as opposed to just soft and squishy. So it is soft and squishy, but you also like it's got a bit of oomph to it. It's got some texture to it. It's got some character. It's not just merino. And I love that. And the colours are just like divine. They're, how do you describe it? It's got almost every element of green and yellow in there and a little bit of orange. The colourway is called Exposed Steel. I've linked to um, to Gilly's Etsy shop on the show notes so you can see it for yourself. And I've taken photos as well and added them in. But it goes from a light sage green into quite a bright, almost daffodil, you know. The daffodils have got the pale outer um, petals and then the brighter inner is those kinds of colours. And the rust colour that you get on steel and a bit of brown and some kind of more chlorophyll type green colours. And almost going into purpley blues. It's got, like, I'm not doing it justice. If you're listening rather than seeing this on the podcast, you probably have heard everything that I've just said and thought, that sounds disgusting. I promise you it's not. Go and look at the show notes because it's really lovely. And again, I'm eyeing this up as potentially colour work and doing quite a simple colour work jumper and using this as the contrast colour. But I need to pair it up with something that it's really going to work up against um, because of all of the colours in here. Or it may become a pair of socks. But I think it needs more prominence than that than just being on my feet. So I think that's it for Feeding the Habit. Other than to say, um, I still have a massive stash palace full of beautiful yarns that have been curated. And I've come out of six months and I'm still alive, I'm still breathing and I'm fine. So my intention is to go into another six months of no yarn buying. But I'm going to wait until the end of January to start that six months. And I've got good reason for that. (laughs) Um, John, Arben and Juliet have did about to bring out a new yarn. And I got a little sneaky sample of it to do a review on. And I started working with it over Christmas and New Year. Already knitted up a hat in it, and I'm about to crochet up a hat as well using the same colours. And oh, it's amazing! It's amazing! It's absolutely amazing. Uh, I will tell you more about it because I'm going to do a proper yarn review on it next month. But the colours are just, they're just like there are a couple of them that are very heathered, and I can't, I can't. I can't get them out of my mind. Like I'm de- I'm so desperate to make a jumper out of one or both of the colours. So um that comes out at the end of January and my plan is to snap up some of that <laughs> a jumper's quantity and then go back into six month um yarn ban. And I've been looking online, like I want to be able to treat myself to say well done for not having bought yarn for six months. But I haven't found anything, nothing's really grabbed me and I've been looking and I've been looking in some of the Facebook groups where they de-stash and sell second hand, um, well not second hand, you know what I mean, unused 
but having been in somebody's um, stash, I haven't come across anything that I'm really like, desperate for, and so I think this is the best way around it, and it's just all about jumpers for me at the moment, it's about filling up my wardrobe, so I think I'm going to buy that and then roll into another six months stash use and yarn ban. Again, with the proviso that I can buy things for designs if I really need to. So, uh, yeah, wish me luck. Does anybody want to join me? Um, my friend is already, she was doing 12 months where I was doing six, so she's already into another six months of um, yarn ban. No more buying for her. So uh, it'll be good that we can keep each other company through it again. So, because we're on episode 50... That's why it's called the Who, because episode 50. Um, I said that you could ask me any questions that you've got. So, I'm going to quickly take you through uh, some of the questions that came in from people. The first up is from Ali, and she asked... Um, she says, I know you left your job to start your business, but what made you decide to design as well as running the business? Did you do any training, reading, workshops, etc. before doing your first pattern? And the answer to this is, I couldn't help myself. Almost as soon as I picked up a crochet hook and the needles after that, I was doing my own stuff. So whether it was even finding a stitch pattern in a stitch dictionary, which they were some of the first crochet books that I ever got, which tells you a lot where I was already into stitch dictionaries. I was picking them up and making my own snoods for people and cowls for people and just I couldn't help but do the things that were in my head and then I just kept on going and kept on going and um, really refining what I wanted my patterns to look like it took me a long time before I got to the point that I was actually selling them at all but the benefit of that was it allowed me to really think about how I wanted my patterns to look and I'd worked from a lot of patterns and been frustrated honestly by a lot of patterns where um, maybe they didn't put the row counts or the round counts or I didn't feel that the patterns were full enough and they'd given enough explanation and where they'd maybe tried to um, keep down printing costs it was to the detriment of the actual pattern so I worked for ages through other people's patterns and doing my own and then eventually brought out my patterns because I, I know how I wanted them to look. I knew all the information I wanted them to have. And I now work from a standard pattern format. So all of my patterns are pretty much the same right the way through. So the short answer is I just I couldn't help myself and I can't now. I just have constant creativity, um, which can be a blessing and a curse. And it's not just crochet patterns. It's it's all manner of things. I wake up in the middle of the night and there's another idea that's popped out. And the reason I'm saying that can be a curse is because you can always be attracted by the new shiny stuff. And actually, one of my big things for 2020 is to do fewer things and do them really well. And to stop being distracted by new and shiny and to get stuff done. <laughs> like, if you have a really good idea... Make sure you get that really idea to the end point. So uh, I need to stop being distracted by all these. I call it my noodle brain and it's just constantly like oozing out noodly ideas all the time. I can't, I just can't help myself. 
Right. Fiona asked, um, when it's suggested that you alternate skeins of hand-dyed yarns, does it mean every two rows or how many? And does that mean extra um, ends to sew in too? So Fiona, what I would suggest is you apply different thinking depending on if you're working your piece in rounds or rows. If I was working it in rows, then I would do it every two um, rows and then I would be carrying the other yarn up as a working yarn and trapping it down on the first stitch of the first row in the new colour. Because I just wouldn't want all of those um, ends to weave in. And if you're carrying it up only every two rows, then you don't have, you shouldn't have a big long piece of loose yarn um, that, I mean it also depends on what your project is but if it's something like a garment and then you're going to sew the seams together you're not going to see those yarns are trapped down anyway if however you're working in rounds then I would suggest that you change every single round and you soon get into the habit of it um, and what I would say is that's not just something for hand-dyed yarn. It's it's actually quite a good thing to do with commercial yarn as well. Even if it's something is in the same dye lot, I would look at it really, really closely because for some companies, the same dye lot doesn't mean anything. It could have been um, miscalculated at the yarn house. You could have bought it from a local yarn shop where somebody has swapped around the dye lot Um labels you just don't know what's happened to it so I would really assess your yarn and see if it looks like it's the same shade and the same colour and if you think it's slightly off then alternate it again every two rows if it's a um, flat piece and every round if you're working in the round <coughs> hopefully that answers if anybody's got any other suggestions for that that's just what I would do um, if you've got a suggestion, let me know, add it into the top tips part of Ravelry and I will come to it next month and do it as an update. And then Claudia has been on. Hello Claudia, she's got quite a few questions. She says, what is your goal and where do you see your business in five years? And what I would really love, this sounds, let's, it does sound selfish, I'd really love my designs to have more prominence. I would like more people to be aware of me as a designer and the amount of work that I put into my designs and the patterns. Um, it can be really hard to get yourself seen as a designer. There are a lot of us out there. There are a lot of us on Ravelry. And it's really hard to get any level of prominence now um, other than you just kind of keep on nailing it and keep on working away and, and producing what you produce so that's one of the things that I would really love for my crochet and knitting patterns is to be to have more prominence within the industry and that's something that I'm working towards as well and the other thing that I would like to be is in a position where I'm helping other designers get that prominence where um, lesser known really good designers are finding their platform and I would love to be part of that solution and it's something that I'm working on at the moment so yeah I would I would love to have that real community feeling in and around designers where of course we're all competing against each other but actually I think there's more worth in lifting each other up I think that's how this can be done 
and I think that's true for many things in life. I I would hate to be in a position where um, I'm seen as competition with another designer. I would much rather that as a bunch of designers we're lifting each other up at the same time and supporting each other and sharing our knowledge and our skills. So that's what I'm working towards. And yeah, in five years time, hopefully that's exactly what I will have achieved. Fingers crossed. And yeah, that's what I'm working towards. Claudia also asks, do you think that Brexit will have an impact on your business? And if so, in which way? This is really interesting because obviously... (laughs) We are right in the middle of this in the UK and we've been right in the middle of it for some time. For me, however, for my shop, most of my customers are UK based and a lot of my manufacturing is done by me in the UK. And that's something that I've deliberately done from an environmental footprint point of view. Um, but also it means I can, I'm in a better position to ride some of this stuff out because a lot of my manufacturing base is in the UK and my raw material base wherever possible is UK based as well. So that makes life ever so slightly easier for me. Um, however, I feel like there has already been and will continue to be like a tightening of belts in the UK and the amount of money that people spend on things. Um, and I think luxuries have gone out the window already for many people and they are feeling the pinch and there is general concern about what is going to happen to our economy and how that's going to affect jobs, houses, the ability to actually feed um, your family and those things always come at the top of your priority list. Um, What I would say though is that the information points to the fact that when people have less money and we go into a period of austerity one of the things that does gain traction is crafting because people go back to basics they want to like make do amend and they want to learn crafts and skills and like kind of cottage industry end of the spectrum and I think we're probably going to see more of that and of the kind of industry numbers I saw last year the feeling then was that crafting was going to continue to go up and things like going to the pub and going out for um, fancy meals were the sorts of things that were going to decline and that um, crochet of um, all of the crafts was one of the ones that was really going to keep on growing and growing and growing in popularity. So on that basis, if the numbers are right, um, I would like to think that my sector and therefore my friends my buddies and my colleagues are probably and hopefully in a slightly better position but we just don't know we need to wait and see i wish i had a crystal ball and i just don't um she also asks do you have many friends in your local area that you can meet up with and knit and crochet together um and i do i actually run a crafting group and we meet once a fortnight on a thursday night for three hours i hire out a local hall we all pay like an entrance free to come into the um session it's called wool gathering sandbatch and i've been doing that for the last four years um yeah it's just it's just four years old now and it's a lovely lovely group and it's where most of my friends come from locally to here Matthew and I don't have kids 
and I think a lot of the friendships that you make locally tend to be at the school gate. Um, and I moved into this area about 11 years ago, didn't know anybody, don't have kids, and I find it really difficult to make friends because I didn't have that point of contact and I worked an hour away, so I was commuting an hour every day by car, which again is not particularly conducive to making friends locally. And it wasn't until I started crocheting and knitting and then set up wool gathering sandbatch that's actually where my friends group came from and it's just it's the best thing that I've ever done. <laughs> it's um it's really changed my life locally and um I have friends out of that. I have actual true friends from running Wool Gathering Sandbatch and from the community that we've built up there together, which is really lovely. Um and what I'm looking at doing this year because I we have a saying if you want something doing, ask a busy person. And I am I definitely would put myself in the camp of busy person. And one of the things I'm looking at doing with... Um, hopefully my friend Beck is going to help me with this. She's actually somebody from Wool Gathering Sandbatch. Um, and she and I are looking at running a gathering up here. We're in the northwest of England. And we're looking at hosting a gathering just south of Manchester where every few months we can come together, um, be in a village hall somewhere with good access, sit and drink cups of tea and coffee, have a nice cake, have a chatter and bring more people in from the kind of northwest of England. So that's something that I will be working on in the coming months with Beck. So hopefully I can take the ethos of what I've made with wool gathering sandbatch and create it into a bigger thing that serves a bigger area rather than just my very local area. So I'll have more crafting buddies. Um oh yeah, and there's also the global hookups. Um so actually I've got lots of friends globally that I sit in a craft group with because we meet up on a monthly basis. Hello, global hookup folks. Um and then what else? She's got two more. Um, she says, what other things, aside from yarn, am I passionate about? Which of the other talents would you like to develop more in the future? One of my other main passions is cooking. I I love food. I love ingredients. I love um, cooking everything from scratch. It's a massive part of my life. Um, at one point, I actually thought I was going to start a charcuterie business. I knew that I wanted to work for myself. I knew that I wanted to get away from the kind of corporate job that I had. And I thought charcuterie would be something that I could do because, again, I can bring the provenance of the animals to it and I can be very specific about where I bought the meat from, how I handled it, the welfare, everything. And then, um, like I had business plans, I'd gone and done training. I've I've got MVQ skills in hygiene for kitchens, all that sort of stuff. And then I started crocheting, and that was it. <laughs> the charcuterie business idea just went out of the window because actually I'd found my niche. I'd really found the thing that I was utterly passionate about, and I love food, and I love charcuterie, and I love making things from scratch and I love the provenance of materials but I can do all of that through crochet and running my shop and that's what I'm really passionate about 
And final question comes from Corinne and she asks, what's my naughtiest yarn-based project or story? And I had to rack my brains about this because I don't personally find buying yarn naughty. It makes me very happy. Um, but the the thing that I kept on coming back to was we once had um, a load of Matthew's bandmates here for the weekend. They were doing a charity thing whereby they had to write and record an album in a weekend. And with all of these things... I end up lending support, making cups of tea, um, like making sure they're all well fed and watered. That's that's part of my job. So whilst I might have been going out a bit during the day at night times, I was kind of stuck in the bedroom trying not to make noise because they were recording. And as the weekend wore on, I just got more and more frustrated with it, with, you know, lights being left on and noise and all of our Wi-Fi bandwidths being used up. And, you know, I just got more and more annoyed. So as the weekend rolled on, the shopping basket for some of the yarn shops I was buying from just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the more frustrated I got, the more high-end the yarns got in my shopping basket. And Matthew came through at one point and went, you all right? And I was like, yeah, you're buying me a lot of yarn to make up for this. Like, you're buying me some very, very nice yarn because I'm such a lovely understanding wife. So needless to say, I have some really beautiful cashmere in my stash. It's really lovely and I'm going to use it up shortly. But yeah, that's that's probably my best naughty. Like, I should have just sucked it up. I knew it was coming. I knew that we were going to have lots of people in our house for the weekend. But I just got so frustrated. And I was like, what's, what's going to make me happy? Oh, I know. <laughs> Buying really lovely yarn. That always makes me happy. So yeah, this is why I end up with such a sizable stash. In part. <laughs> um, that is it for the questions. Thank you for asking um, away. And hopefully you got a little bit more of an insight as to me. And, and what kind of makes me tick as a podcaster and as a crocheter. So on to quick news beats. The first up is that the January hookup will be on Saturday the 25th at 8pm. And that's GMT. And then on Sunday the 26th at 9am GMT. All of the joining details are in the Ravelry group and they're also in the show notes. So, And I also put them up as a highlight on Instagram, usually on the same day or the day before. So you can get a little reminder in there. The second quick news beat is that I've had my first ever pattern in a crochet magazine. Um, I've been working with Inside Crochet and they have put Basalt, which was an existing pattern, into issue 121. Um, I really like the team at Inside Crochet, they're lovely and I I also really like Inside Crochet as a magazine so it felt like a nice fit and now that I've kind of popped that crochet magazine cherry I will be looking to put more patterns in with them and through the months because actually I really enjoyed the experience and it's just it's just nice so uh, yeah you might you might see more from me in inside crochet hopefully I mean you you submit and there are no guarantees that your work will actually be taken so we'll see what happens with that and um, the other one which is just a quickie is that I am in the middle of changing my 
company name over from Knit It, Hook It, Craft It to the Provenance Craft Company. But that's a lot of the work that I've been doing over Christmas is um, getting all of that ready and changing the website and making it look all funky and with new logos and everything. So we're finally there. It's been quite a task, but we're there. And that, my lovelies, is it from me. So I shall be back on Friday the 7th of February. And until then, have a really fab month. Happy crocheting. See you soon. Bye-bye. As ever, thank you for being part of this podcast, your involvement and being part of the Crochet Clan means an awful lot. If you've enjoyed what you've seen and you want to support the podcast, I have a Kofi account and you can find that simply by searching for the Crochet Circle podcast or you can find links in the show notes. Thank you. I also finished off a late weight. weight. Let's take a drink and breathe. Fancy. We're going fully tech for 2020. Apart from glasses, still steam up. Right, let's crack on with it.